couple of weeks ago, I was going up to Southeastern Seminary up in Wake Forest, North Carolina. I'm going to start furthering my studies a little bit more into uh, the Bible and what God has to say. And so I went up there to go meet with the administration, went up to meet with some of the, the admission people up there. And it was on a Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday morning, actually, when I left. And that Thursday, I was meeting with the leadership for the students here at church. And what I was going to do is share with them the vision that God has placed in my heart for this new year. The only problem was I didn't know what he was telling me. It was one of those moments that I could feel God just pressing on me. It was as if he was right there just 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 punching my side. But I did not know what he wanted to say. And so I went up there just with with the mindset of God, tell me something. In two days, I got to meet with these people. In two days, I'm sharing this vision for the whole year. But God, I don't know what you want me to say. In moments of uncertainty, I think we are supposed to seek truth. We're supposed to seek guidance. We're supposed to seek God's word. In that moment, what I did is I decided I was going to finally read this book that people keep telling me about called Radical. It's written by one of the youngest pastors in America. I believe he's what, Corey, 31 years old, 31 years old. He's the one who recommended the book to me, actually. And so at the age of 31, he's pastoring one of the largest megachurches in America. And that may sound great to some of you, but really that's beside the point. Because the purpose of this book is really revamping our vision, revamping our heart on what the Americanized church has become. And so I placed it in. And as I was going up to the seminary, the Holy Spirit was just piercing inside of my heart. I'm driving up there and tears are just flowing down my face. And I'm realizing we have missed the mark. What have we created here? What barrier have we put up between us as an American church that has kept us from seeing and fulfilling and having the full glory of God Almighty living within us? Now, believe me, I'm not telling you the things that we do are necessarily wrong. It is amazing to have a band. Churches to have mass choirs. To have dynamic, clear speakers. To have media. These things are great, but I tell you this, to whom much is given, much is required. And the point of what he was trying to say within a lot of it is this. We can have these things. We can have great programs. We can have great speakers. We can show funny skits. We can do all sorts of things to bring people within these doors. But the fear is that God has absolutely nothing to do with it at all. Now, I can attest for our church leadership that I believe that is not the case here. But I've seen it take over and influence our culture where we have lost sight of who God is. And so when I went up to the seminary, when I was up there and as I was listening to this book. God convicted me with the question I needed to ask myself. And that question is this, what is my role? Or what is my definition within this thing called Christianity? 
Why am I here? Why am I doing what what I am doing? What is my purpose? And I believe those are questions that we all ask ourselves, and I will encourage everyone to ask those questions. Don't ever just assume. Never assume the words that come out of my mouth are are truth. Now, I'll tell you, I I researched the scripture and these are God's words. And I'll stand here before you today as an ambassador to the kingdom of heaven, not proclaiming what I have to say, but proclaiming what God wants me to say. And I've told the students many a time when you hear a speaker, don't just assume what they're saying is truth. Open up the Bible. Find it for yourself. Never just assume it is good to ask questions. It is good to pursue. And as we pursue our relationship with Christ strengthens And it grows. And so the question I ask myself is, what is my role? And so as we start the new year, I think we all need to ask ourselves that question. And if we are going to take it a step further, what is the definition of Christianity? What does it mean for you and me to call ourselves Christians? And so to start off this new year, I want to proclaim to you a declaration through God's word on where we need to go as an individual and where we need to grow as a church to become the Christ followers that God has called us to be. And if you have your Bibles, you can open them now to Mark chapter eight, verse thirty four. And these are the words of Jesus. What he's saying in this passage is he is telling the followers, the people that are surrounding themselves around him, what it means to be his disciple, what it means to follow Christ. And this is where we start off. He says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, listen, this is key, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The call to be Christ's disciple, the call to be a Christian, the call to be a Christ follower is one, a call to denial of self. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Now, let's be clear. This is not self-denial. But it is denial of self. Now, what that means, it is a denial of ownership. It is a denial of the things that we own. Ownership of self. The actual word denial is used in Peter's denial of Christ. The same word is referenced in that scripture. And so for us to get a better understanding of what it looks like for us to deny ourselves, we have to go back into the scripture and look at the story when Peter denied Christ. And we find this at the Lord's Supper right before they came and took Jesus away. In John 13, 36 through 38, it says, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I like Peter. I think he's got a great heart. He means well. But what he didn't realize in this passage, what he would really be doing is sacrificing our opportunity for salvation. Because he would have stood in the way of Jesus taking the cross so that you and I might have eternal life. And Jesus 
checks his character. When he says, oh, you say you will die for me, but I tell you this, you will deny me three times. Now we go on to see after they have already seized Jesus. And it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, making reference to to being with Jesus. But he denied it. Peter says, woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. Peter said, man, I am not. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Some translations say in that moment, Peter swore. He swore he did not know who this man was. One that he said he would lay down his life for. He is now denying his very ownership. He is now denying his very existence of being associated with them and says, I want nothing to do with this man. I have nothing to do with this man. So much that he swore he had nothing to do with him. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, what the word of the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. Listen to this. And he went outside and wept bitterly. I was thinking about this passage and to put it in layman's terms or to put it on an example where we might understand. I had to go back to my days in middle school. I actually was talking to a good family friend of ours. We, we've had a Christmas Eve dinner with the same family for the last 40 years. And they've had children, grandchildren. They're probably going to start having great-grandchildren now. So I can't name any of them. I don't know. There's so many kids running around. But I was talking to one of them. And I said, well, what, what grade are you in now? And she said, seventh grade. And I said, oh, that's good. Well, do you like it? She said, I hate it. And I was like, oh, Good, I'll move on. And so, you know, I, she, she started telling me, you know, why she hated it and stuff. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, I, I remember middle school. It was crazy. I went and sat down to her father and was like, yeah, talk to your daughter. She's really loving middle school. What are y'all doing to her? And so she, he then went on telling me that what she's dealing with is in, in one class period, your best friends. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about. We have middle schoolers here. Raise your hands. Yeah, you're evil. Okay, and so we, she was saying one period, they say that you're your best friend. And then the next period you walk in and they don't even act like they know who you are. We've all been there. We all know that. We've experienced clicks at some point in time in our life. We've experienced that hurt of denial. I was there in middle school. I remember that. It's vicious. I remember trying to go and sit at the cool table each and every day. I'll never forget the moment that I went to the cool table one day. I sat down. A guy came up to me. He said, you're in my seat. And with my quick-witted humor, I looked around. And I said, where's your name? He kicked the seat out from under me. I was laying down on the, on the cafeteria floor, embarrassed. Each and every day, I went and sat at another table. When those same people walked by, I sat there so embarrassed. I didn't want them to know I was associated with with them 
with the people that I was sitting with. I was so worried about my status. I was so worried about my class. I was so worried about being popular that I was the one denying ownership of friends. And I'll never forget that day when it happened. I went and sat down at a table with another person who was sitting there by himself. A guy who had been a good friend of mine throughout elementary school. And I looked at him and he looked at me and I'll never forget these words. He said, now you know how it feels. I was crushed in that moment. That's what it's talking about. We are supposed to do that for ourselves. To deny ownership of who we are. The word deny in the Greek means aparneomai. Means to affirm the one has no acquaintance or connection with someone. To forget oneself, lose sight of oneself and one's own interest. What's interesting is I believe in in our society, our own interests build up this, this credibility of self. As I've researched and I've thought, I think there's three things that are the downfall for America. One of them is materialism. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to have good stuff. I like having good stuff. But that good stuff can so easily become your God and you never allow it to take hold of you where that is the control in your life. So I believe materialism is one of them. Sexism, we can look all over. I've seen marriages fall apart just from getting on one of the newest tools of networking, which would be Facebook. A tool that is a great networking tool, but I've also seen it destroy us. Girls can put up pornographic photos. Now, when I say pornographic, I am setting it on God's standard where they are dressing themselves in a way that is revealing for men to get on there. And they just start finding different pictures and seeing different things. And next thing you know, their mind is being is being moved into this area that is going to totally destroy them. We see men getting on there and they're they're becoming acquaintances with old high school flings, with old sweethearts. And so it is opening up this this world, this pornographic world, this perversion. And I've seen it destroy marriages. I'm seeing it destroying households. I see it tearing fathers apart from their kids, husbands away from their wives, wives away from their husbands. And it scares me. And I see it as being the secret and the silent killer. Because it is done in secret. It is done silently. And it is destroying our society. And the last one is egotism. It all goes back to self, the love of self. Why do we do those things? Why do we fulfill those, these, these pleasures that leave us empty? We, we, we try to fulfill them because we love ourself. Last week I went to the South Carolina basketball game. and had the opportunity to, to sit in a suite with some people here at the church. And one of the people that came to the game with us was a former owner of Chick-fil-A. He operated a couple Chick-fil-A's in Columbia, and he did this before he was 30. He was one of the most successful owners in our state's history. He had it all. He was winning contests that no one in this state has ever won before. He said he won a trip to Costa Rica. He won a boat. He looked at me. He said, Matthew, if I wanted it, I could have it. As a result of that, People were starting to become attracted to him, to his fame, his fortune. One of the reasons his store was so successful was because he was hiring beautiful employees. 
As he had the beautiful employees, the money was coming in, but the temptation was flowing off of him with those girls. Eventually, he cheated on his wife. His life had fallen apart. He looked at me. He said, Matthew, I was living the American dream. He said, this society told me this is what I was supposed to do. He said, but society left me empty. Society destroyed me. He said, the American dream destroyed my life. At that moment, on his knees... He repented. He gave his life to Christ. Fortunately, by the grace of God, he showed me on his phone his three beautiful kids in a marriage that has been restored as he seeks God in his life. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The reason the owner of Chick-fil-A could not attest what God's will was in his life is because he was not living for Christ. See, Jesus says, you are either with me or you are against me. You cannot serve two masters. He says it is either one or the other. He paints a picture of putting a line down. He says, on this side it's for me or this side you are against me. So often I see in the church... Monday through Saturday we're over here, we're doing our thing, whatever... And then we step in on Sunday. And we think, oh, I'll come in. Yeah, I'll fill out my name on the, on the offering plate and I'll slip it in and we'll do all that stuff. And I'll come up and get in the praise band. I'll, I'll come. I'll volunteer all these things. And we do that here. But Jesus says, no, I don't want that. I don't care about that. Serve whatever. He says, I want ownership of your life. I want it all. I don't want just Sunday. I want you 24-7. And when he takes us 24-7, guess what? It goes on for eternity with him. And we find ourselves totally transformed. And we find our hearts focused on something else. We find our hearts focused on heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, an earthly visa will not allow you through the gates of heaven. And it will make you restless, which ultimately leads to destruction. I think one of the things that helps us understand what the Bible is trying to portray as we look at the example of the, the, the owner of Chick-fil-A and what Scripture is trying to tell us as, as denial of self, there's two things that we need to realize. And the first thing is we need to understand that everything is already God's. We, we take ownership of something that is not ours. First Corinthians 6 19 through 20 says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Listen to this. Here's the key. It says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, this is an illustration of who we are once we give ourselves to Christ. Christ lives within us. Do you realize the power of the almighty God, the one who spoke and the earth came into existence? 
the only person in history who has actually conquered death lives within us. It says that you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God. Everything is God. So who are we to take it back from him? When we realize this, our lives will totally be transformed. One of the things I, I, I often ask myself when I'm about to make a decision is I didn't ask myself three questions. The first one is this. And if you have a pen, write this down. I think it's good advice for everyone. Is this wise? The first question, is this wise? Students, when you're in a situation, whether it be school, maybe you're out doing something, or maybe you're tempted to go over to a boyfriend or girlfriend's house and mom and dad aren't there, let me tell you this. Ask yourself the question, is this wise? Second question I ask myself is, is this beneficial? What are the benefits of the outcome of what I'm about to do? And the last thing is this. And as we give ownership to Christ, he begins to transform our hearts and our minds to where we think this way. The last question. How will this impact eternity? Or will this have an eternal impact? As we give God ownership of our lives, we begin to see our life transformed. We begin to look at life differently and we actually begin to live life. And we no longer identify ourselves here on this earth. We no longer identify with ourselves. But Christ becomes our identity. Ephesians 5, 8 through 12 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, and here's the key. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. When we understand denial of self, we give God ownership of our life. He transforms us. He takes what that was dead And he gives it life. And he transforms us. But the second thing we need to look at here is a call to death. For us to attain life, we first must die to self. And he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. It was not uncommon in this time period for you to be walking on the side of the road and to look over and see a crucifixion take place. When this passage was actually written by Mark, 
It was written to the believers in Rome. If you were a a Christ follower in Rome at this time, it was not uncommon for you to endure persecution. A lot of it. We look at the Christians being persecuted in the Colosseum, the gladiator fights. Arresting Christians just for the fact that they follow Christ instead of Caesar, throwing them into that pit, allowing lions to devour them. This was the church at that time, and the church was growing, growing faster than we've ever seen, because we see real Christ followers who have denied ownership of self have focused their lives on Christ's identity through them, and they understand what it means to die. Mark demonstrates this as he says, take up their cross in a literal and a figurative way. The the picture that he paints comes from Simon of Cyrene. If you're familiar with uh, the the story of the the passion story, you'll know that there was a a, a person, Simon of Cyrene, who was passing through, and the, the Roman soldiers forced him to go and help carry Jesus' cross. The rest of the way with him. And that is the picture that Mark is trying to paint for us. That we literally carry that cross with Christ. We go to Calvary with him. We literally have his blood. Have his sacrifice on our shoulders. I like this because the word compelled in the Greek in this passage means angaruo. It's a verb meaning press into public service compelled to go. Even though he was, he, he was compelled to go, he still had to make a choice. And I was looking at this, it says, and they compelled a passerby. And I thought, you know, how does this apply to us as a church today? It applies to us in a very, very meaningful way. See, there are so many of us. We just pass by. Maybe you've come to an event. Maybe you've come to Lakes, Carolina. Maybe you just come to church because you have friends here. And you're just passing by. Each and every week you hear the band play. You see the heart of one of the most sincere worship leaders that I've been around. And you see God just overflowing through him. And the passion that he brings. You hear some of the the, the best sermons that you are ever going to hear in this area. I believe that our pastor is one of the best that I have ever heard. And it's an honor to serve here with him. But many of you have missed the mark each and every time you come because you are just passing by. Because here's the thing, through what God is doing through the lives of our leaders, He is compelling you to take up that cross. Are you willing? Are you willing to deny ownership of yourself? Are you willing to take up that cross? Are you sick and tired of going through the motions? Has life just made you so restless that you are you are just you're going through so much anxiety, you're going through so much pain and you are sick of it? Because if that is you, I'm telling you to stop passing by. And I am compelling you to go and to take up that cross and to find true life, which only comes in Christ. Because the whole bulk of the message is this, and we find it in John 3.30, it says, He must become greater, and I must become less. Everything we do is influenced by Christ. Everything we do is for Christ. 
And so God must become greater in our lives. And we find ourselves becoming less and less and less and less important. So much to where we are on our knees looking up and saying, God, I need you to take ownership of my life. Believe me, church, I know there are many of you here that are there. Jesus says, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why keep going through this anguish? Why keep going through this pain? Stop the life that you are trying to live for yourself that is leaving you hopeless and make a declaration today that you are going to follow Christ. And understand that it is an action. And the last thing we see is it is a call to follow. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's two things that are interesting in this passage. What most people might overlook, it says, if anyone would come after me, Jesus is always at the forefront of everything and every decision that you make. And everything that you do, Jesus is always at the front. Whether you like it or not. But what I say to that is knowing who God is, why would you not want him to be there? And so he says, become and follow me. In the original Greek, if you look at the passages where Jesus is telling us to to do things, we see it is written in the continuous tense, the present tense. What this means is it is daily. It is a daily denial. It is a daily sacrifice. And each and every day as we wake up and we look ourselves in the mirror, we do not need to see us, but we need to see Christ living within us and understand that at that moment we are called to follow him. And so scripture tells us to press on, press on, press on. So what is the definition of Christianity? What is our meaning in life? Our meaning is Christ and Christ alone. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We do this by denial of self. We die with Christ. And lastly, church, I tell you this, and this is important. We throw it all away. And we follow him. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. His command is that. That verse that we just went through is the single most important verse that you will ever look at in Scripture because it lays out the foundations for what it means for you and me to be a follower of Christ. There is no more important decision you will ever make in your life. There is no greater call that you could ever follow than to live your life and to declare this new year, this day, this moment for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come here today asking you to change us, asking you to transform us, asking you to do something great, God, that we can't begin to fathom. Lord, I pray that you come and you pierce the souls of those here who need it. God, I take that back. We all need it. God, we need you in a powerful way. We need you to change us so that we come be more like you. Father, do what you want for your glory and your name. Amen. We're going to sing.
a song. They're going to pass the offering plates. If God has spoken to you today, listen. Don't try to second guess yourself. Just act. Just go. Just listen. And I promise you, your life will never be the same.